Hello everyone, I'm Patrick Connor, and welcome to the Hannibal Boxing Podcast. There's not much use taking up much of your time delaying you from listening to the incredible Shannon Briggs stories you almost certainly came to hear. But that said, while return listeners of the show will be familiar, new listeners might not know about Hamilcar Publications, the publisher of books about boxing, true crime, hip-hop, and more. And thus they wouldn't know that Hannibal Boxing is the more boxing-specific arm of Hamilcar, and this podcast is an audio supplement, if you will. This episode is definitely a special one, though. In recent years, former heavyweight champion Shannon the Cannon Briggs has come to be known as a sort of lovable character, a fun-loving rascal on social media, as he navigates his way through life, and especially as he sought a shot at ex-champion Vladimir Klitschko a few years ago, now Shannon is looking toward life after boxing, though, as many of us know, few ever truly leave the sport. Shannon, you hanging in there? Classic. Let's go, Chant. What's up, brother? Hey, I, I sincerely appreciate you joining me, sir. Thank you. Oh, thank you, brother, for having me. I appreciate you. Thank you. Now, you've gone from being homeless as a teenager, a few decades of professional boxing. Now you're on... Just a brand new journey. Is there even a way to sum up this journey of yours, all the stuff you've gone through? Man, incredible, Patrick. First of all, thanks for having me, champ. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, it's, it's unreal. But it's just it's, it's what I call insane normalcy. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like insanity and normalcy at the same time because I'm used to it. As far as being in the fight, I'm used to being in the fight, in the ring, out the ring, in life, you know, coming from Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, same neighborhood as Mike Tyson, Ray Bow, and many other fighters. It's always been a ghetto. It was always a ghetto. It was always a, a rough place from its inception, you know. It was a place where the mafia used to go get their contract killers from, from Brownsville. This is where they was from. Um, the same neighborhood I grew up in was born in. So, you know, I say I've been fighting all my life, but it made me who I am, let alone it gave me the strength, you know what I'm saying, to, to, to survive rough, tough times. It made me who I am. And I, and I say that, you know, meaning I'm, I, I feel as though it gave me the street edge, the confidence, the toughness, but also the intelligence because you're not just going to survive in Brownsville based off of brutality or, or uh, you know, brute strength or, you know, you being a, someone willing to take another person's life or to be violent, that's just not enough because, because it's just as tough as you are that someone tougher or a, 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 someone afraid can kill you because out of fear. So it's just so many, so many things involved with uh, growing up in the bill that, it takes us a form of intelligence if you really going to survive. I didn't die there. I was able to get out of there. Uh, circumstances, in some ways, got me out of there. You know, being evicted, being homeless at, you know, 13, 14 years old, me and my mom, having to, you know, live house to house, place to place. It was, it was, uh, it was brutal at the time, but it was preparing me for today. And although uh, I'm still in the struggle, I consider myself somewhat um, 
blessed in the way. Not not just blessed, but somewhat somewhat um at a place where I can be proud of myself that I did not just use strength, but my, my, my brain got me out of there as well. Well, as you know far better than I, of course, not everyone gets out of boxing unscathed or at least with the ability to live a very fruitful post-boxing life. You sound like you recognize how fortunate you are and that you've done what you've done and you're still here. A billion percent, Patrick. A billion percent. I feel like uh, the position I'm in business-wise, I'm an entrepreneur. I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. Uh, I've always tried to use my my branding, my persona to to get me into business because I've seen early that boxing was something that, you know, um, you look at the great Muhammad Ali, he, he suffered from Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. I mean, boxing, you know, boxing did his damage to him. And so many other fighters, boxing leaves them, uh, you know, impaired afterwards. It's like, you know, look, you don't have to, you can box for a week and, and get hit in the head and never be the same. Some people, box, like myself, box for 30 plus years. And, you know, every human is different. All it takes is the one fight. You know, the bank, bank look, look at what's happening right now with so many people in contact sports being uh, diagnosed with CTE after death or CTE symptoms before death. So uh, I feel very fortunate, very fortunate that I'm in position after boxing. You know, I still fight once in a while. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be fighting Mike Tyson next year in February. Uh, we've been in talks about that for the last five, six months. So point, point, my point is, yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy that I'm able to to uh, even speak with you like this because a lot of fighters are in a position where they can hold a conversation because the brains got rattled. You bring up Mike Tyson, which for obvious newsworthy reasons is a good segue here, but it also brings the story full circle in a way. As you were coming up early in your career, they build you as something like the next Mike Tyson or a new Mike Tyson, and now you're both involved in the cannabis industry, but do you feel like you've maybe come full circle? Is that true? Yeah, I am. I am. Um, again, I'm fortunate to be, uh, you know, doing what I'm doing in the cannabis business. And it's allowed me to uh, to not only be able to have this conversation with you, I believe, but hopefully financially it will put me in a position in a few years where I never have to look back, you know, and that's, and that's just the goal because it's a huge business, there's no secret there. Um, and, you know, I, I, I hopefully I can not only become financially well off from it, but help save lives because myself, Patrick, a few years ago, uh, 10 years ago or so, I was suffering from major depression. I, um, I was down and out. I was distressed. I was I was stressed out bad. I financially was in turmoil, and I was prescribed uh, medication for for depression, and it only made me worse. I think, in my opinion, and from what I felt, um, I ballooned up in weight. I ballooned up to four hundred and three pounds, and and then. Um, 
I started I I I, I started inquiring and, and looking for another form of help, and I started doing my due diligence on cannabis, and I gave it a shot, and here I am today. I got off medication, you know. I uh, had a life change. I lost weight. I got back in shape. I started fighting again, and you know, it was thanks to cannabis. I was in a bad place, and cannabis saved my life. So, for me, um, I'm just I'm just happy to be here and be here talking to you. Let alone to be in the business and being an advocate for it and, and trying to help and save lives like mine was. Well, I would imagine the recent elections, you know, the news that several more states have either voted to legalize or decriminalize cannabis, that has to be helpful for you business-wise. Yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a brand and a licensing company, and I'm, I'm an advocate, more, more so advocate, whereas, you know, my, um, my brand... My mantra, let's go champ. I can't say mine, but it's the people because we all champs. But I, the mantra that I trademark was uh, was was resonated with people around the world because of people who was down and they needed self motivation. So you know, me branding and using my my likeness to to promote something that changed my life, and that's I, I feel good about that, man. I feel good. If I can financially benefit benefit from it, great. But even if I can't, if someone else's life is affected and it can be saved, then you know, good luck, chat. You know, Shannon, I've I've asked a bunch of people this, and I'm curious, but especially ever since the COVID nineteen pandemic hit, and many of us have had to stay home and stay away from other people. What kind of music have you been just cooling out listening to? You know, Pat, I was um, during my time of depression. I was going through a lot. And I had to do a diet from from rap music. I had from hip hop. It's, and it's not excuse me, not rap music. From gangster rap music, negative lyrics. I was really like listening to it so much. And what I was going through with anger issues and depression, it wasn't good for me. So I started listening to just beats, to just the instrumentals. And man, I had a awakening that I love music. It's great tempo music when I'm training and different things. But uh, when I started using it, using just the beats and the music without the negative lyrics, without the killing my killing or just about glorifying bad things, I just started feeling different. I started feeling good, so I just kind of went into the to the whole uh, instrumental thing for quite some years, and I've been on that still. You know, I still listen to lyrics and rap sometimes, different music, but even R and B, like. I don't really want to hear about, you know, someone, you know, heartache and, and, and they're in love with a girl or a girl, you know, just to hurt people being hurt through music, saying negative things. And I just wanted, I just needed the beat. And the beat motivated me, moved me, but it hasn't been doing so. And, and that's all I do. I listen to instruments, you know, and they really get me going because I'm not listening to someone with age, what they said. Like what they going through, or they kill somebody in, in the song, or what they buying in the song, the materialism, the murder, the kill, the, uh, the definition of women, just you know, calling them, you know, bad names. I didn't need that no more. I don't need that. I, I had to go into something where it's positive for me. So I had to do a life change. I call it like a cleanse, not just diet, which had to change, 
everything, what I watch on TV. You know, I don't, I didn't need to be watching First 48 all the time and uh, things about forensics, about killing, because I'm not killing nobody. You know what I'm saying? And, it, and, and when you just program yourself to watch these somewhat entertaining shows, there's a dark side, I believe, to it because your spirit's not really growing. So I stopped watching television in the sense whereas anything negative, you know, killing, shooting. We're so used to that here in America that we hear someone just got killed, you know, a cop chokes some guy out and, and kills him, puts his knee on his neck, and we desynthesize. We forget about it. We forgot that the guy just shot everybody up in Vegas, you know what I'm saying, at a concert. People forget, oh, like it's nothing because we're desynthesized to uh, – such a murder, and, and even whether it's the television or it's the music, it's like, oh, it's no big deal. We see it, we hear it. Nah, it's not good for the spirit, for the soul. And that's what I needed. When I started smoking cannabis, Patrick, I, I stopped listening to negative music. I stopped listening to any music with lyrics. I don't care if you sing about something positive. I just don't want to hear it. I just want to, I let the music take me where it's going to take me. Then second, I start watching stupid shit on TV. Excuse my language. I start watching stupid stuff on TV. And then uh, food-wise, again, I had to stop eating crap. And it's a, it's, a whole, it's a whole diet. It's a whole cleanse. Not just one thing. Not just food. Not just, uh, you know, television. Everything has to be cleansed right. When you make a decision, I'm not watching that. I'm not into this. You know what I mean? And that's what, and that's what started the Let's Go Champ mantra. Because... If I put something negative on, I tell myself, let's go, champ. Let's go. In that way, let's go, champ. Get that off. Listen to some music, let's go, champ. I don't want to hear that. You know, I'm not on that. You know what I mean? And, I, and that's what I had to do to lose 168 pounds, Patrick, to get back in shape, to, to not feel suicidal, not to, to not want to kill myself. This is what I had to do. These are some of the things. And I tell people, this will be the name of my book, by the way, it's not just one thing. That's the name of my book. It's not just one thing. Because it's not just one thing. How many times have you said, oh, I know what I got to do. I just got to stop doing this. No, it's this and that maybe, something else. It's not just one thing. So that's what became my motto. You know what? It's not just music. It's not just food. It's not just, you know, who I hang out with. I don't need to be around someone if they talk in silliness or they, they on some stupidity. We're not on the same thing. So what I got to do is separate myself. You know what I mean? Be going that diet. And I did that. And I did, again, I thank cannabis for that because it gave me that clarity to chill out. You know, maybe my brain is just going too fast, Patrick. <laughs> and, and the cannabis helps slow it down. Just double think for a second and say, hey, you know what? Chill, champ, chill. And that's what it did. And that's what it does. Let's go, champ. Speaking of things we can use a little soul cleansing from sometimes, are, are you still into boxing? Do you still watch it much? Uh, yeah, I, st I still watch boxing. Uh, I love boxing. I, it's, it's in me. It's what gave me the life I have. Um, I'd like to see more fights. Unfortunately, because of COVID, we won't have as many fights. But I'd like to see a change in a sense where it's just – Tough guys fight tough guys all the time. There's too many guys built up where they don't fight for, for once or twice a year. These big pay-per-view shows. We don't get enough tough guys that we had in the 80s. We had like Duran, um, Tommy Hitman Hearns, Ray Leonard, and Marvin Hagler. 
you know what I'm saying, the best should fight the best. So I think if kids start doing that like uh, Tofio Lopez, he just fought uh, this guy, Lomacheco, and that was great for boxing. You know, it happened and it's over with. Now, okay, Lomacheco either can come back and fight again or he can do what he, you know, duck off. But fights got to happen. So I like to see more of that, like quick fight, big fights happen inside. All right, so I know you're a storyteller, and I've been tipped off a bit. I heard a little story about the first time you got a chunk of money in boxing, but but it would be better to hear it from you so you can fill in the details. What what happened there? Oh, man, that was when I was young, man. I was young. I was a homeless teenager. Um, I had been to boxing a couple of years on and off, um, and... I recently had gotten some trouble, man, and I was in and out of arrest, and uh, I was again homeless. And I remember, I remember, uh, I had won a couple fights, and it got pretty interesting for me. Amateur titles and different tournaments. I had kind of like, and I was going to a lot of gyms at the time. Uh, I was going to a lot of gyms at the time, and, and I actually was getting a name for myself. And Shelly Finkel had inquired about me at a few for a few gyms and I was like, really? I didn't really believe it at first. And then I was told that, you know, um, he wanted to talk to me. And we spoke and he asked me to come to his um come to his office in the city. I was like, really? is this really happening? And I knew who he was from, you know, from the eighty fourteen, you know, he was the guy who was behind, you know, Biggs, Whitaker, Holyfield, all those Nudgy Taylor. So I was like, wow. I went to see him, and it's funny because um, at the time, I didn't have a winter jacket. It was freezing cold in New York City at the time, and I didn't have a winter jacket. And I remember him, I, like it was yesterday, him saying, uh, where's your coat? Like, so that was like one of the first things he said to me. I came in the office and said, how you doing? I'm sorry, thank you. You know, the way he speaks with his voice. And then uh, he said, um, where's your coat? And I was like, uh, I had like a windbreaker, like a pullover windbreaker, and he said it was green and green with a black interior. And he uh, he said to me, he said, where's your coat? It was freezing. I mean, it might have been like three below. And I had like a sweat on there or something like that. And he said, I said, no, nah, this is cool. I like this. This is pretty. It keeps me warm. But I was I didn't have any money for a coat or anything. So he he made a he made a like a a face like, come on, like what kind of answer was that? <laughs> and I never forgot that. But we talked. It wasn't even long. Be honest with you, Patrick. We were, we were, he was saying, "Look, I'll, um, I'll, I'll, I want you to when you turn pro. If you turn, if you turn pro with me, I'll give you X amount of dollars if you make the Olympic team. If you do this, that, and third. So I listened to everything you said. It, was, it makes sense. And, you know, I said, "Okay, great." So he said, "Look, I can't assign you as a pro because you you're not a professional, but I want to help you out." And he said, "How much? You know, you need some money right now." I was like, "Well, it depends." You know, like I was trying to, you know, be business minded so I thought I was starving, man. I, I probably had eaten a day or two. <laughs> I probably ain't eaten two days. But I was trying to play it cool. And um he said, Well look, I'll give you some money. He said, his how's five thousand dollars? And I looked and I said my my heart I was like, okay, that'll work. <laughs> I mean before he could master yeah that'll that'll work. He gave me five thousand dollars. He said he said, Do you have a bank account? And I was like, Yeah, I got a bank account. He was like, well, um, if you put the money in the bank. And I remember him saying something like wire the money or something. I was like, no, nah, I got no bank account. I was lying to him. 
And then they said, um, I said, well, you know, he said, can you, you, you can cash it at your bank. Long story short, he caught me in a couple lines with that, and he said, well, it's best I cash it for you. He told his, his uh, secretary, I think her name was Blanche, if I remember correctly. I remember him saying Blanche or something, and she went, and she went to the bank, and I stayed up there the whole time. Well, she was, again, I wasn't up there too long, but she went to the bank and something came back with $5,000, Patrick. I couldn't believe it, bro. I was like, holy snap. And I mind you, I'm amateur. I won a couple of things, you know, but nothing crazy. So this is like early 91, if not 90. Um, so she comes back and gives me 5000 I Now, remember, I told you I had a green, a green pullover windbreaker jacket. You know what I'm saying? So I took the money and I put it in the middle of the jacket. But I got, so I'm thinking, oh, my God, I gotta, what do I do? First thing I'm thinking is I'm going to buy a coat. First thing I was thinking was go to Canal Jeans on, uh, what was that, Broadway in Manhattan. I was like, go buy a coat. That's the first thing I was thinking. It was freezing. I was thinking, damn, do I go to Macy's? But I was like, nah, go to Canal Jeans. Just save the bread. You got to find a place to sleep. I was thinking about getting a hotel for the night. I'm thinking all types of stuff. So all of a sudden, I go down to the train station. I'm happy. I go to the train station, but then it hits me. Yo, you got a lot of money on you. Well, actually, it didn't hit me at first. I went to the train station, and I pulled out the money to get a token. At the time, I'm in the city, they had the token booths. And I think the, the fare was like a, 75 cents or a dollar. I'm not even sure. It, was, it wasn't much. Maybe it was a dollar. Um, maybe it was a little more. I'm not sure. I took out the money, Patrick, and when I took out the money, there was a dude in the train station. He seen me. But I didn't really pay it too much mind because I pulled out the money, but I kind of put it back in the envelope because I was trying to, I was supposed to make the booth. And I think that obviously the dude seen me. He seen me take out some of the money, and I had to put a $100 bill because it was all 100 So the lady's counting the money, talking, messing up. I mean, just totally taking a long time. And he counting the money. I mean, he, the, the lady in the booth counting the money, the dude is behind me. All of a sudden, I looked back, he was gone. Mind you, he was like 6'6 six, six in height, tall. I'm out, I was a young kid, 18 years old, 18, 19, 18 years old. I'm saying to myself, damn, well, he was gone. So I thought. So I went down the train. Now I'm getting a little nervous. I take the money out, I put some in my pocket. I'm thinking, damn, damn, what if, you know, if I, something happened, I can't lose this money. I go down to the train station. Cause this, was, this was at the booth. Now I go down the stairs. I get that token, go to the booth. I go down to the train station. All of a sudden, I see the dude, Patrick. He's at the end of the tracks. I said, oh, snap. So now I just kind of like, you know, just walked away a little bit. And the train came. I get on the train. I'm looking at the train. It goes to the, as soon as I get on the train, something telling me, just, you know, be cool. But I look there. I look between the carts. At the, you know, down down the train, I don't see anything. So we go to the next stop. I look again. I don't see anything. The train's taking off again. All of a sudden, Patrick, I see him coming down the train, like three cars away. I'm talking about tall, six, seven, six, eight, pushing people coming through the train. I, I said, coming for me. I just knew it. I said, he's coming for me. Finally. He busts open the door. Boom! He starts going crazy. Yeah! 
start talking about, yeah, yeah, you got a problem with your girl? What you think this is? But I, I had said nothing to the guy, but I was already on guard. I already knew something was about to go down, but he seen that money upstairs on the train. All of a sudden, this was the craziest thing ever happened. He starts beefing with me, right? And this old lady comes up, this old black lady says, she starts praying, Jesus, in Jesus' name, please, God. Like, so I'm, I'm this, but she, when she starts praying, I get scared. You know, my mother was really religious. She always felt as though I was going to die young, you know, because the streets were so bad, and I was in the streets. All of a sudden, here I am, I'm 18 years old, this big, tall dude is, is, is going to take the money. I'm homeless, bro. He says, hey, what you want to do? I attacked him. Patrick, when I lunged, I lunged with everything I had. Right hand, left hook, right hand, left hook, and then I went right, left, right, left, right, left, straight, like a machine gun, firing. Every punch not missing his mark, which was his face. It was like a machine gun. He was going down. As he was going down, more punches was coming. I was gunning, gunning. He tried to grab me. I'm gunning. The lady said, stop. In the name of God, please. He had enough. I stopped because I couldn't, nothing was going to stop me. My brain was on go. It was on switch. All of a sudden, the lady, the lady, the old lady praying stopped me. I looked. There was blood everywhere. I said, I said, she said, you were, she said, I never forget. She said, young man, let, let me pray for you. This is now the train movement. People done ran to the next cart. He landed there, and the lady's praying for me, her hand on me. The train stops at the next stop. I get off. Now, this is how stupid I was. <laughs> I was a kid. I was so stupid. Some said, yo, you know, just wait for the next train. Well, first of all, I went to the other side of the track, took a train, went further back uptown where I was at. And I think that was on 34th Street or something. So now I get on the next train, and I'm going back towards Brooklyn. When I get to Brooklyn, Brooklyn, and all the way in Brooklyn, Franklin Avenue, nothing happened. Oh, I see the lady on Franklin Avenue. That's what happened. I get off the Franklin Avenue. So I get off the Franklin Avenue to catch the, um, the shuttle, and I see the lady. And that's when she prays for me. She's like, you didn't do nothing wrong, baby, but, you know, you couldn't, you didn't want to go overboard, but I seen everything. I was scared I'm going to go to jail, I'm thinking. Now, I get on, I get on the shuttle. It takes me to Utica, Iowa. I get up to Utica. Who do I see? A guy from my gym. They used to call me Ali. He said, hey, Ali. I said, what's up, Jeff? <clears throat> hey, what's up, Eddie? His name was Panama. I said, what's up, coach? You know, and we're talking, and then all of a sudden, Patrick, the cops come. I'm, I'm, we're, on the, we're on the platform. I'm terrified. The cops come. They say, yeah. The lady people come in. Yeah, some guy got, some guy got shot. There's blood everywhere. I'm thinking, nah, this couldn't have been me. This is something else, right? Because I, I already took the train uptown and came back downtown. That was had to be a half hour, 45 minutes. Who knows, right? Patrick, they bring the dude out on a stretcher. They pass him right, right in front of me. He, he's like neck in a brace, everything. All of a sudden, when he gets to me, he turns to me and goes, ah, ah, ah. literally, the track was full. When he got right to me, his head turned to the left, and he looked at me and he said, ah, ah. 
No one knew what he was doing. Then no one knew. They, they, they took him. Let's get him out of here. They took him. My boy looked at me, coach. He said, he said, he said, Ali, what, what, what was that about? I said, All of a sudden, I pulled out the money, Patrick. I showed him the five thousand. He said, Ali, you robbed that man. I said, No. I went to Shelly Finkel. He gave me five thousand, and I was going to get a token. And this dude followed me, and he tried to take the money. He didn't believe me. He said, man, Ali, I, I never took you as a person that would do something like this. I was begging him, telling him, no, no, I didn't do it. I'm telling you. Panama, his name was Panama. I said, I didn't do it. I'm telling you what happened. He didn't believe me. You met Shelly Finkel, and he gave you $5,000. What kind of shit is that? <laughs> I'm like, no, seriously, it happened. All of a sudden, the old lady came back to She was like, there you are. Lord Jesus, and she was like, I said, I need to see before I can say something. That's what she said. You did nothing wrong. And then someone else came up, hey, man, I see what happened, man. That's okay, man. This, this, this was an unbelievable moment for me. That's it. Coach Panama never believed me. <laughs> he always thought I took that money, but it, it was really what happened, man. So that was one of my stories that I, I told I told. uh my boy John, man. Me and John go back 30 years. You know, I love that guy. He's a phenomenal guy, man. And I told him that story. He said, Shannon, you're the best ever. <laughs> Let's go, chat. That is easily one of the best stories I've ever heard, especially in boxing. Man, you really are a storyteller. I, I wasn't I wasn't lying about that. And it, the funny thing about that story, too, is it, it really uh, it fits the idea of you as – like a character in your resurgence in the early 2010s, heckling Vladimir Klitschko, him, you know, over in the water, falling off his paddleboard, all that stuff. Specifically, you know, your return to the spotlight then and your brand, uh, Let's Go Champ, and all of that. Where did that come from? Was that really, uh, was it born of necessity? Um, 100%. You know, I had to take a page out of... Um out of uh, Muhammad Ali's book, you know, he um, he he wanted he needed to fight. He wanted to fight Liston, and he went out there and he made it happen. And, I, and after years of being blackballed in boxing and being denied and you know being blacklisted, I I, I decided that um, the only way I was gonna get a shot at is if I humiliated a lot of guys, got under their skin, and thanks to the internet and thanks to social media. I was able to uh, to create a buzz. You know, I really started doing this in like 2012, uh, 2011, 2012, but there wasn't a, uh, at the time, Instagram didn't have video. It was just photos. So I think I, I, it was perfect timing that I started harassing guys, and and, 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 and that's exactly when, Instagram had went to video, so I was able to uh, capitalize off of that, go viral a couple of times, you know, with David Hay, with Wilder, with Klitschko, all in attempts to fight them, I was able to go viral, and it helped, it helped bring notice to the mantra, which was part of my, you know, my comeback, and let alone my survival, which, which was Let's Go Champ, you know, that mantra was part of my survival in a sense, whereas um, 
when I was down and out or depressed or I felt like giving up, I'd take, let's go champ, you know. My entourage was gone. My friends were gone. Everyone turned their back on me. So I had to uh, self-motivate, you know. I used to have people around, you know, I take care, I'm taking care of 10, 15 people, you know what I mean? When I go shopping, I buy clothes for everybody. When I go food shopping, I bought food for to feed 10 people because, uh, you know, I was the man. I was the champ. I was the one who made it. So I felt obligated to help my friends out and help people out. But, you know, you live and you learn because when you don't have, they walk away. They're not there for you, you know, and I learned that the hard way. You know, I grew up as the only child, and I didn't have any brothers and sisters. So I've always been, I had the only child syndrome, which is you want, you want friends, you want people around. So I would have people around, oh, you spend a night in my house, do this, do that, and not, not want to be alone. So when I made money, I was the same way. This is already better than me. I wasn't cheap. I wasn't selfish. When I went out to eat, I went out to eat at the best restaurants. I took my friends. When I went out to eat, when I went out clothes shopping, and I got a buddy or two with me, and I look nice and they look bummy, then what? I got to pay for them too. So, you know, I didn't have to, but I would because I didn't want to, you know, my boys to be, you know, feeling bad or not looking good. And a lot of it had to do with women as well because I would go out every day. I would go out after training or whatever. I, you know, I love, I'm a social person, and I, when, I, when I started making money, I said, hey, man, let's go out. We might go girl, girl watching, and, and I'm, I'm fresh. I got the coolest clothes on, and my boys, they're they not. And I might, we might need a group of girls, and they all look nice, but I'm the only one in my, out of my boys that look nice. So I would take my boys shopping so we all look nice so we could get the girls. You know what I'm saying? But it cost me, Patrick. It cost me huge Friends cost me so much money over the years, man. I say to myself, I wish I had a brother and sister growing up so I wouldn't have had that. That only child syndrome is a completely opposite of what people think. People think, oh, you know, only children are selfish. No. Only children give, give, give because they want company. They, 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 they barter that. They, they stay, stay, hang out, don't leave. Um, look what I got. You know, and that's how I grew up wanting people to be around because I was alone a lot. And then it, I carried that as an adult. It took me many years. When I hit rock bottom, depression, overweight, everybody in boxing turned their back on me, no promoters, everybody laughed at me, you know, people who seen me when I was financially doing good at times, they would see me later on and they would laugh at me. They would have a different attitude. People are so materialistic. People are so uh, judgmental. And I say that as a black man, especially in the black community, because it is the reason why. It's the reason. It dates back to slavery. And I know this goes a little bit off the mark, but black people want to show their worth or they show their show do status through material, material things. You know what I'm saying? And that was my syndrome as well, Material, materialism, um, to show wealth, to show that I'm somebody, to show uh, that, that I'm worth something through, through our physical things. And for many, many years, I did that. I, I wanted to dress nice to show everybody. You know what I'm saying? But I say that to say, for many years, I carried people. I carried friends. 
because I wanted to show wealth and show show uh, stuff through materialism. And as I went broke, flat broke, and as I I didn't have things at times, you know, I had to struggle to pay bills, and, and I had to ask people or borrow or they treated me like shit. And after all I did, all of the niceness I was, the kindness, the giving as I am, which is my nature, I'm still giving, but I got to be careful, Patrick. I got to be careful with that because you can give, 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 and then people just take, take, take. And, it, and, and, and people, most people aren't natural givers. Most people aren't naturally going to give you for no reason unless they have some sort of uh, intention to get something back from it. And I guess I thought I was getting something back from it. Company, friendship, people around. I had to learn when I started smoking cannabis. One thing, can, another thing cannabis did. Like I said, it's not just one thing. Another thing cannabis did for me is it let me allow me to be alone. It allowed me to say, hey, you don't need people. You don't need somebody always to be there for you or to have you you okay by yourself. And people have taken advantage of me of because of that. To say, yo, I know he wants somebody to hang around him, or I know he wants and that's what I, I've learned to do is separate myself from people more thanks to cannabis. Let's go, Chad. Are you cool with Vladimir? Have you seen him since then? Yeah, I love Vladimir Klitschko, to be honest with you. He's the, one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. Literally, one of the top 20, 25. And that's not even 15. I mean, his record speaks for itself, his size. Um, you know, I think it's a different era. I think it's definitely been a different era with um, PEDs and all that stuff like that. But, um, I think that uh, he's one of the best, you know, of all time. One of them, one of the top 15, top 20. But uh, phenomenal human being, man. Nice guy. Grateful. He was great for the sport. Um, in some ways, his style wasn't always appealing for the sport, but he did his thing. Um, and uh, I think still to this day, we still make a great fight. He's uh, just, he's some years younger than me, but I think to this day, if we started, we we get ready to rise. Shake rock, rock and roll right now. I think the people will come out to see it. You know what I mean? I think it'll do some numbers. Um, but right now, it's, it's looking like Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson gonna be on the chopping block if, if he get past Roy Jones. Now I know that's John LePage right hand man. They got history, but we are gonna see fight night. Let's go, champ. So you against Mike Tyson? That's obviously the the in ring match, but. What about outside the ring? Your weed against Mike Tyson's. Who who's winning that battle? Who weed? And I'm telling you right now, this Tanner OG will 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 shoot bombs on the Tyson Ranch. You know the real how the ranch is sitting there. The ranch will be hitting with these cannon bombs from this Tanner OG. This Tanner OG is the strongest pack. In, 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 in history. We, everything is over 26%. Chad, it's a, it's a knockout, Chad. It's a knockout. We'll have to revisit some of this, but I heard another story that I was wondering if you were willing to tell. I heard a little story about something with you and Sugar Ray Leonard in his office a, a number of years ago. What happened with the apartment you were trying to get? When I, when I lived in Maryland, I had moved down to Maryland, and I was living with this girl 
I was like, 1819. This is all happening within the year that I was 19 now. I moved down to D.C. I met a girl. Now, mind you, this is the connection to this story. I went. Now, I, I, I got the money from, from, uh, from uh, Finkel. Dude would try to take it. I put the I put the machine gun funk on him with the hammers. I put I put the the punches on him. He didn't get the bread. Now a month or so later, I get a call. Single says, "I'm gonna send a car to get you to take you to uh, to the airport, and he's gonna take you to Virginia Beach." But he didn't tell me a day or nothing like that. He said, "You know, I'm figuring this guy gave me the five thousand. I'm never gonna see him again." You know what I'm saying? I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe it was a couple weeks later. And then all of a sudden, one day, I'm at my friend's house, and the, and the bell rings. It's like 7 o'clock in the morning, 6 o'clock, 6.30, something like that. It's early morning. And there's a, there's a, uh, a, it's a limousine outside to take me to the airport. And I had been telling people, you know, that, you know, that, uh, you know I met this guy. I got him on money. I gave my friend's mom some money because she let me stay there. Uh, and then I, the bell rang, and I went downstairs, and I was getting my bag together. I had a couple things I had bought with the money. I got my bag together, and I never forget. I went downstairs. Everybody, there was people downstairs by the time doing the work or whatever. And it was like, Bob, don't come back. Leave, man. Good luck. You made it. Um, and that was my mostly my friend's sister and his mom and his brother. And um, they was like, hey, "You made it, man. Good luck, man. Have a good life." I was like, "Like I was never coming back." <laughs> and I remember getting the limo. They said, "Limo to take me to the airport." I get to the airport. I get on the plane. The first time I was ever on a plane. I take the plane. I go on the airport. Uh, figured out. Get on the plane. I take the plane to Virginia Beach. When the plane lands, I come off the plane. Who picks me up from the airport? Georgie Benton. I couldn't believe it. Georgie Benton picked me up from the airport. I was like, wow, I had been watching him on TV with the greats, Melody Taylor, Pernell Whitaker, Holyfield. I was like, wow. So now, he takes me down. He takes me, uh, he takes me to the gym. We talk in the car, asking him questions where I'm from, my fight style. And I'm talking to him. We get to the gym, Patrick. He says, yeah, yeah, get ready. We're going to spoil you. I just got there. I ain't even unpacked. I ain't even do nothing. I, I, he told me I was going to get a room. I was going to get some money per deal per week for food. And I was going to stay there for a couple months, be ready for Olympics. I was like, what? All this come true. And now, so we get to the gym. He said, yeah, throw your stuff on. We're going to see how you, see how you do, how you fight. I, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was just coming to watch and spar. I had watched and spar. Long story short, Patrick, I got busy, champ. Champ, I got busy with them. They couldn't believe it. <laughs> After they seen, they, they, they started calling me Shotgun Shannon Bread because that jab was busting them. I was like, that jab, that jab was coming out like a shotgun. So now I'm there. Now while I'm there, while I'm there, Patrick, I meet this girl because of rest in peace to the great Pernell Whitaker. He introduces me to this girl. This, this, this fast forward to a month later, me and her wind up hooking up. And then three or four months later, or six months later, I wound up moving to D.C. DC with the girl, me and her. I'm like my 18, 19. She's, uh, 
she's like 25, 26. Beautiful girl, drop dead gorgeous. I mean, you couldn't, I couldn't believe it. She was in love with me. And I, I was infatuated with this woman. She was older. She was beautiful. She had a good job. She, did every, she had everything. Beautiful car, credit, beautiful woman. All of a sudden, I'm living with her. Fast forward. I'm living with her. Fast forward to every week she throws me out. She kicks me out every weekend. Like, we did it to Hollywood. Get out. Mind you, I had gave up my little spot I had in Brooklyn, so I was really uh, in a no-win a no, a no zone. I was in a bad place at the time. So I wind up going to Sugar Ray Leonard's gym. I remember to get to the Ray Leonard story. This is how it, it transformed. So now I'm living in D.C., Maryland. She kicks me out pretty much like once or twice a month. I'm staying with a homeboy. I'm staying with different people. When we got into this little riff, you know, little beef or whatever, it was her place, so, you know, what can I do? She said, get out. I got to get out. Uh, I later found out she had another little boyfriend on the side, and I think that was what part, part of my get out, too. So, so, um, so um, anyway, I go, I'm going to the gym. So I'm talking to, to, to J.D. J.D. Moore. J.D. was uh, J.D. Brown. J.D. was uh, Ray Litter's right-hand man. J.D., James Moore, and all those guys. Um, or Pepe, Pepe Carrillo, he used to be at the gym all the time. All those guys was in the gym. That was that was um, that was Ray's guys. It was the Palmer Park gym um, in, in, in Palmer Park, Maryland. And I'm there. I'm training, whatever, whatever. I go there throughout the you know time, check on, you know, trying to see Ray, trying to get a deal. You know, <laughs> so so because uh, because uh, what's his name? Kicked me to the curb. What's your boy name? Uh, Shelly Finkel had cut me off. I wound up losing in the ABF. I wasn't training in, in um really. I wasn't really training in Virginia Beach. I was out there for like six, seven months. I wasn't really training well, maybe longer. Um, and I wound up losing in the ABF in '91. That's what happened. '91, I lost in '91, and Shelly cut me off. Kicked me, he kicked me out the car. Once when Shelly kicked me out, I wound up going back to New York, got an apartment. Then I was there struggling. I said, yo, I'm out. I, I wound up giving up my apartment, moving to to Maryland with, with the girl. Her name was Pam. So I'm living with Pam. Pam kicking me out a lot, free, frequent, over a year. And then I'm going to Ray Linda's gym. Uh, I was going to my boy uh, Adrian Davis' gym. Yeah, I love Adrian Davis. He's the best ever. I should have stayed with Adrian. But um, I wind up – I wind up kicking uh, in with, you know, J.D. and those guys. And I said, J.D., man, you got to sign me, bro. I'm going to do my thing. The Olympics coming up. The ABF, I'm going to win it. I know I'm going to do blah, blah. They was like, man, you ain't going to win nothing. I was like, I'm telling you. So I used to spawn in the gym. So when they see me work, they was like, yeah, he got something. So they had me on the hook. They was telling me they're going to sign me, they're going to sign me. And I was thinking about, you know, turning pro, not even going to Olympics. They was like, yo, you got to turn pro. I was like, nah, come in to the Olympic team, y'all. You got to believe in me. They was like, nah. So anyway, one day I'm in there, champ. I'm in the office with JD. I'm begging JD to help me get this apartment. I'm like, yo, JD, I'm on, I'm on an Olympic team. I'm on, I'm on a uh, USA team now. They're giving me like 800 to 1200 a month. So I, had, I was ranked in the top three. I said, check this out. If y'all co-sign for me, you ain't got to put up no brand. Just say that I'm working with you guys and you guys will sign me. Because I had went to the rental office, Patrick, and talked to the lady. 
And like, I came in there with my USA suit on. I had my USA bag, and I was telling her who I was. I showed her a couple articles, and that was kind of like I got their attention. Now, mind you, I don't got no job besides the little income I've got coming in from the USA, but I have talked these people in to possibly rent me an apartment. I told them, listen, y'all know who Ray Leonard is, right? It was, of course. I was like, listen, he's from Maryland. Everybody knew Ray Leonard. I said, yeah, I'm about to sign Ray, Ray Leonard. If y'all sign me, you know, hopefully, you know, I can bring Ray down here. I'm telling them whatever I think going to work. They're like, okay, well, look, listen, if you could get a letter from Ray stating that you are, uh, you know, we see you on the Olympic team is in the third. If you could get something from him, that we'd be willing to, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, consider you. So now I'm, I'm scrambling. I'm going to JD every day. JD, please, champ, please, man, just write a letter for them so I can get an apartment, man. I'm living here, living, I'm living there. I never forget. And the time, Patrick, I was staying with a friend of a friend, right? And the house was so dirty, bro. One day, I, 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 I went to get my shoes. It was under the bed. And I went to get my shoes. It was full of roaches. Bro, the house was so dirty, bro. I couldn't believe it. It was roaches everywhere. It was roaches and mites. I was like, yo, this can't be life, man. I was like, yo, I got to do something. I was staying here for a few days. I remember it was cold. I was sleeping, like, in the basement. I was like, man, my life was in shambles, champ. Um... And I never forget, I went, to, I went to Ray's gym one day, and I was talking to J.D., pleading and begging with him to write this letter. And J.D. was like, nah, I don't know, I don't know. He was staring me on, staring me on. J.D. Went, got up, Patrick, and went to the bathroom. When he got up, I took three pieces of his stationery, three pieces of paper, stationery paper. I took them out the book. I went home. When J.D. came out the bathroom, first of all, I thought he saw me because I ripped the pages out of the book. It might have been like four or five pages. I thought I got the pages out of the stationery. I, I, went, I went over the desk and just ripped them out. When I went home, I had like four or five pieces of paper. I ruined the first three. Number four, ruined. The last piece of paper, champ, I wrote the most immaculate letter ever written. <laughs> I took the letter down there. I said, look, Ray, I took the letter, the letter to the people. I got a ride from a friend to take me over there. It was in Greenbaum Mountain. They took me to the office. I gave them the letter. They read the letter. They read the letter right there in front of me, Patrick. I had my Operation Gold checks out. Not even the checks. I had a couple of the, the stubs. I showed them. They said, when can you give us a deposit? $660. I said, I, I can get it today. They said, okay, if you, can get the key, if you can get that, we can give you the keys today. I couldn't believe it. I went, got a check cash, and I had some, so I had like 800 bucks. I went, I got a, a money order, I got back, bought them $660. They gave me the keys. I couldn't believe it. When they walked me to the apartment, it's a beautiful apartment. I walked in, they gave me the keys, and they had a dishwasher. It was beautiful. All carpet, water, wall carpet. You know, and, and, and the living room and the bedrooms and everything. When they, when the lady went out and gave me the apartment, I signed everything. I laid on the floor, Patrick, in the living room, and started doing like I started crying, bro. I laid on the ground and started crying in the living room. I can remember it like it was yesterday. I had not one piece of furniture. 
I had nothing. I had walk. I had to walk up to like a Sears, and it was freezing. And I had I bought a sleeping bag and some plates. Um, with a little bit of money I had, I bought a sleeping bag, some plates. Um, I had a radio or something. Bro, I came back. You would have thought I had a mansion. I was so happy. You know what I'm saying? And at the time, Patrick, I'm going to keep it real with you, I didn't know where life was taking me. I didn't know where my life At the time, my, my father was in prison, you know, where he would eventually die, and my mother was strung out on drugs. And I hadn't seen her in months. I didn't know if she was alive or dead. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know my mom was. And again, I'm the only child. I, I, I grew up with no brothers and sisters. My mother raised me by herself. My stepfather was in and out of in and out of my life. He was, although I loved him, he was not a good person. For he tried to be, but he was he was doomed for for death. He was doomed, and he would eventually die in prison. And my mother would eventually die on my birthday of a, of, of a heart attack due to drug overdose. You know, due to drug, drug due to drugs, right? Now I say that to say this: when I laid in that apartment. On the ground, and I was just laying on the carpet. It felt like the the carpet the carpet felt like like a like a cloud, like a pillow. It was so comfortable. And then I went and got a got a sleeping bag that night, and I was so happy to have that. You know what I mean? My life was in shambles. I didn't know where my life was going to take me. And now I'm sitting here in a in a million dollar home, doing the best I can to 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 keep it, but I feel good because. Those days, I felt bad, Patrick. I felt bad, champ. You know what I mean? And that's why, and that's why I say let's go, champ. Because when I even think about that, I have to say let's go, champ. You survived that shit. I got JD ass. <laughs> let's go, champ. <laughs> uh, I'm guessing you never invited Ray over for dinner uh, at that apartment. But to this day, when I talk to JD. People like, you know, those people call me for six months after you got that. <laughs> to this day, when I see you talking to JD, I say, JD, you the best ever. He said, no, you crazy ass. He said, yo, I can't believe you did that. He said, you know, people call me for six months. <laughs> I said, man, I'm sorry, JD, man. Let's go, champ. Honestly, you sound very much at peace compared to what some boxing fans might remember from years past. Would you say your business ventures now, your journey, is that just an ongoing search of a kind of peace? No, I would say I'm on the same mission. You know, the mission is to, uh, to fight to survive, fight to, fight to you know, I, I'm 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 trying to earn now for my kids, let alone for my health. You know, it takes money to to live. You, got, you need proper food, proper medicine. Well, uh, everything takes takes money, especially around like COVID nineteen. Uh, you need a strong immune system, so you got to eat right. You got to have the best of health, the best of doctors, masseuse. Um, you know, food and availability, everything you need to survive. Man, that's what I'm focused on right now. I focus on um living and like you said peace you know what i mean to be financially well off not have to worry about you know getting kicked out you know i lost my home when i was 13 years old i came home from school one day and me and my mother we got evicted from a place i lived all my life Lang towers and when we got evicted 
13, 14 years old, I was evicted from Atlantic Towers in Brooklyn. And me and my mom, we was homeless really for the next, you know, on and off for the next, you know, until I was 20, until I turned pro. Um, it was rough, you know what I mean? But it made me who I am. Uh, a lot of people would have given up. A lot of people would have turned to drugs and, you know, into um, crime. And I was able to fight past all that and do something, do, do some positive things by going to the gym. And, again, I, I'm, I have a wife and kids. Um, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm traveling the world. I've inspired people. So, you know, I'm missing the place now. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for to continue the mission. You know what I mean? The mission is to become as financially well off as I possibly can. I know people may say, well, you know, money ain't everything, but when you've been to me, man, money's not everything, but it's damn near close. So for me, I am trying to build uh, another wealth to never have to worry, never have to look back and say, you know, and that may be, you know, 20 million, 10 million, 15 million, 100 million, you know, still right now, it's just about building wealth that I can, you know, I can do what I do every day for the rest of my life, which is Smoke good, eat good, sleep good, champ. Yeah, he, he really should add interviewing good to that list. What a fighter and what a person, you know, if I'm being candid. If you weren't a close friend of Shannon Briggs or if you weren't someone who's followed his story closely, you had to have learned a bit about the former heavyweight champion listening to him. Those were some epic tales you just can't get anywhere else. Anyone curious about Shannon's cannabis company, visit his website, cannonbis.com. That's C-A-N-N-O-N-B-I-S.com. You can also easily find him on Instagram at Cannon underscore Briggs and on Twitter at the Cannon Briggs. And also check out his aforementioned brand, which features some clothes. Let's go champ and stay tuned for more Shannon Briggs greatness. While you wait though, head over to hamilcarpubs.com and order some books just in time for the holidays. You can catch recent titles like Macho Time, The Meteoric Rise, and Tragic Fall of Hector Camacho by Christian Giudice, Fistful of Murder, The Fights and Crimes of Carlos Monzon by Don Stradley, Bundini, Don't Believe the Hype by Todd Snyder, and much more. While you're at it, visit HannibalBoxing.com to read high-quality boxing writing online and to sign up for one of boxing's best email newsletters. And it goes almost without saying that you can find Hamilcar Publications and Hannibal Boxing on social media, and this podcast can be subscribed to via all major podcast apps. As for me, I'm Patrick Connor, and thanks for listening. <laughs>